there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you could use some confidence building career advice, then this is absolutely the episode for you. Because my next guest has been in the field of career coaching for the last 15 years and has worked at eight different colleges and universities, including Harvard, Tufts, and Brandeis. But before I introduce you to Becky King, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive look at the guests and the episodes we'll be dropping that week. And I promise you, it is so easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Becky King, a career advisor at Wellesley College in Massachusetts. Becky joined the career education team at Wellesley in September 2017, where she advises and supports and provides guidance to alumni and students at all stages of their careers. She also helps to plan and deliver programs to students and alumni, focusing on the importance of networking and career transitions. Prior to moving to Wellesley, Becky had worked at six other colleges and universities in and around Boston, including Tufts, Emerson, Brandeis, Harvard, and Framingham State University. Becky, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Indeed, I am, Andrea. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, I want our listeners to know, Becky, that I am absolutely going to be asking you to share some of your best career advice a little bit later in this episode. But first, I thought we could start off with what you do in your current role at Wellesley College as a career advisor. How many advisors are there on the career education team? And how many students on average are you supporting on campus? And I know you also support alumni. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I primarily work with alumni at Wellesley, but at the moment, I'm also helping out working with students, which I enjoy very much. There are roughly just over 2,000 students at Wellesley. We're a very hands-on involved team. At Wellesley, there's an interesting model where they have career mentors who are assigned to a caseload of students for all four years. Each student will have one mentor for their four years. After they graduate, they have access to myself and another alumni advisor, and they have access throughout their time at Wellesley and beyond to the career community advisors who have more expertise in certain career areas. So, for example, pre-med or public health, education, social impact, media, communications, and so on, right? So I hope that answered your question. (laughs) Okay. So what you're saying is, for the most part, you and your colleagues on the career education team are supporting alumni. Yes. My primary role is with alumni, but temporarily at the moment, I'm filling in as a mentor role 
working with students. So I'm enjoying that as well. Okay, terrific. So how many are there on the career education team at Wellesley? We We have a large staff. I mean, we have about 25 total. Typically, there'd be four mentors working with the students and two alumni advisors and five or six career community advisors. Okay, fantastic. So take us into a typical day for you on the job. What would we be seeing and hearing you do, Becky, if we were a fly on the wall in your office? Sure. So I would be helping review resumes, cover letters, personal statements for grad school, helping people think about internships that they might want to get or returnships if they're in reentry mode. How do I find a job? Where are the sites where I might find that? How do I decide what I want to do? Decision-making. I'm feeling a bit stuck. Can you help me with that? What can I do with this major? Sometimes it's I've practiced law. I've been a lawyer. I'm not happy with that. How can I change into something different or any other pivot from one career to another? I need help negotiating in a job negotiation or salary negotiation. I'm needing help finding out what is out there. So then we'd have a larger discussion about networking, informational interviewing, outreach, and how to find out more about different jobs out there. I would refer them to watch T4C or listen to T4C. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I guess as a fly on the wall, you'll be hearing all kinds of different things. And literally from one 45-minute interval to the next, you could have a very different conversation. It could be, you know, I'm 19 and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. My parents would like me to do XYZ, but I think I'd rather do. Now, how do I figure that out? I need to find something this summer as an internship to get some experience. And then the next appointment might be, I've been in this field for 10 years and I'm not enjoying it anymore. What do I do? It requires some flexibility and adaptability. Yeah. Some mental agility for sure. Okay. (laughs) So would most of these discussions, Becky, be happening over Zoom or Skype or the phone? Mm -hmm. Or would many of them happen in person? Good question. All of the above. If a person lives nearby and they want to come in in person, absolutely, they'll come in and we'll have an in-person appointment. Many people, as you can imagine, don't live in the area. And so Skype or Google Hangouts or WhatsApp (laughs) or any number of other means like that would be an option. If they're in the States, phone is always an option. But just yesterday, for example, a student was abroad. So we connected over Google Hangouts instead. I don't know if this is generational or if maybe I am an anomaly, Becky. But until you just laid out there all of the ways that you help right now, Wellesley alumni, I would never have thought to call Middlebury College's career counseling or career advising office to get help with negotiating a salary or a career transition. Is this an evolution of the field that you're in or have I just been missing out all these years? (laughs) I'm glad you asked that. That's an excellent question. And a vast number of people don't know that they have access. And not everyone does, I should mention. Not every school offers lifelong career advising. So that is a consideration for those of you considering you know, where to attend. Some schools offer lifelong career advising. Wellesley happens to be one of them. Tufts is another one of them. But not 
all, and I believe Middlebury too, but not all schools do. It would not be intuitive for people to just assume they'll go back to their undergrad institution for help. It's a nice service that Wellesley alums right now can take advantage of, and many other college grads can also take advantage of, but not always. That's not always an option. And certainly to your other point, I think it is also an evolution. I graduated from Pomona College in 89. Like you, I would never have considered returning after graduation for further assistance, though it turns out I could have. (laughs) I think things have just really revolutionized as well. Things have really changed rapidly since we all have now Google, the internet, and access, you know, through tech platforms. That's changed a lot because back in the day, it literally was a file cabinet full of manila folders with, you know, some internship listings in them. And, you know, maybe people would post jobs on a bulletin board, that type of thing. It's so different today. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that I wasn't so kind of out there in my thinking (laughs) because I really feel like I've missed a huge opportunity. In your experience, Becky, What percentage of the students you've worked with over the years at the various institutions that you've worked at come to you in their junior and senior years and say, oh my God, I am a (laughs) history major, I'm a literature, whatever, sociology major, and I don't want to go into that field anymore, or I don't know what careers I can go into that makes sense considering what I majored in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd say there's a very high percentage of upperclassmen who are feeling pressure because the graduation, while it's exciting, can also be a very scary prospect. Everything you've known your entire life is school, right? You've been in school since you can remember. Suddenly on the horizon is graduation and no more school unless you and when you choose to go back to grad school. So this what can I do thing becomes kind of pressing. (laughs) And if you yourself aren't thinking about it, I guarantee that your parents and relatives will be, you know, here you are senior year and you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and people will say, so, you know, what are you going to do with that anthropology degree? Or what are you going to do with a Spanish degree? Or what are you going to do? Whatever, right? Whatever your degree is in. And so that becomes a reality. If you are a planner, maybe you've been taking steps towards figuring that out since freshman year. And certainly there's nothing stopping you. And if you are a freshman listening to this, you can get started today. There's no reason to wait till junior or senior year. But certainly I want to reassure those of you who are juniors or seniors and have not set foot in a career center, have not had a conversation with a career advisor, all is not lost. You, you will figure it out. You may or may not have it figured out by graduation, just to be realistic, but that's okay. You'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> so what do you tell them? those students who come to you and say, help, I don't think I want to pursue my major or I don't know how to Mm -hmm. convert my major into a career that I'm going to like. Sure. Yeah. I think the most common question is, what can I do with this major? And I think there are a lot of myths surrounding majors, which is that if you are, for instance, an English major. Your only option is to become an English teacher or an editor or a writer. And in fact, this is a myth. You can go into any field you want to go into. English majors become doctors. English majors become any number of other things. 
there's no restriction, right? Anthropology majors just the other night, I was having a discussion with our neighbor. He majored in anthropology. He was thinking about pursuing, you know, anthropology for a graduate degree, but decided in the end that it might be more practical to learn some tech skills. But he said even within computers and technology, he has found that his anthropology has been important because he is discovering and understanding and being an informant about different cultures, being able to understand where people are coming from and their needs has been helpful to him in his very non-technically anthropological career path. This is what I love about the liberal arts and humanities really is that whatever you pick, you'll find it to be rewarding in some way. My own background was European studies. Have I ever technically earned my living because of European studies? No, but I wouldn't have changed that major. I think that I enjoyed studying all the things I studied for that major. Choosing your career path can be a very different endeavor. So I think there is some separation from that. Now, my husband is a tech guy. And so for him, it was computer science all the way and a co-op and career after that. So it can be certainly that your major, and if you are an English major and you want to be an English teacher, great right? It can be that. I'm just making sure that your listeners know it doesn't have to be that. Oh, that is such a wonderful point, Becky. One of the ways that I have recently begun to try to articulate that is that, and let me know if this resonates with you, I think a major is more of a foundation than the house in which you're going to be forced to live. Yeah. I think that's a good analogy. Yeah. I think it's the foundation, the platform, but it's not the walls and the ceiling. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. In your experience, do you think that most college students know what they want to do when they graduate? No. I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us don't know what we want to do. I think sometimes we jump at something that seems concrete, that seems, okay, I can do that. I, you know, either it's a message I've received my whole life, I'll be good at this, and so I'll do it, right? Very few people, in fact, they've done studies on this, only 20% know what they want to do and kind of pursue that, right? You know, I want to be a doctor kind of a way and then become a doctor. Most of us change our minds <laughs> quite a bit. And I want to be clear about this, that I think that's great. And there is no problem with changing your mind, changing your career path. Statistically, most of us will have four or five careers. And that's not jobs. That's careers in a lifetime. And nowadays, you know, jobs, at least a dozen, probably. It's not the way it used to be where you'll, you know, go to college, you'll get a job, you'll stay there for 35 years. You know, it's just not that way. Most of us have some vague notion of things we like, but we don't know how that's going to play out in a career. Wonderful. I was hoping, Becky, we could do like a little simulation here because I think it would be really helpful for our young listeners, especially those who don't have a career counseling center mm -hmm. the way that Wellesley does and the way that some of the other institutions mm -hmm. where you've worked do, to really hold the hand of a student and help them through this process, just broad brush strokes. Let's pretend that I'm one of the students that's come to you with my hair on fire. 
mm-hmm. because I'm graduating in the spring of 2020 and I have no clue what I want to do when I graduate. Mm-hmm. Where do you start in terms of advising them? Well, I think if they have some clarity about their, because it comes down to this, you need to be clear about your values, your interests, your personality preferences, and your skills and strengths. So if you're clear on these things, then we can discuss what would you like to be doing when graduation rolls around, at least in the short term. What do you think you know, you want to do when you know, May 20th hits and no longer on campus? What are you going to do? Then we can also have a discussion about in the long run, what do you think you know, down the road, maybe some bigger ideas of what you might have. We don't have to act on that, but it's good to kind of have that in the back of your mind. If somebody is not clear, what are you talking about? Values, interests, you know, skills, strengths, what? I don't know. I don't really know what I'm good at. I don't know. You know, that can often be the case. I know I'm good at being a student, right? I'm a a good student. And beyond that, I don't know. Okay. So then we might have a discussion about how can we get some clarity on that? Well, you can start with some self-assessment, which is taking stock of what you do enjoy. So quite often a starting question might be what brings you joy? What makes you happy? When was the last time you felt really engaged in something and like you were making a difference? So I have, you know, sort of in my toolkit, I have a top 10, you know, here's some questions, you know, to ask to get a handle on interests and what you're good at and skills and strengths. And then trying to imagine, you know, who would you like to be working with? What are the types of problems you'd like to be solving? Just to give yourself some sort of framework. And then the step would be, where would that be? So if I like helping people and solving problems, where can I do that? Well, in a number of places, right? So then you have to kind of fine tune that. And then when it comes time to figure out what is out there in the world, anything from, you know, and thank you again for having time for coffee, but there are also other places to find out what are people doing, right? Could you share some of those sites? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are Idealist is a really wonderful nonprofit focused resource. So idealist.org, themuse.com is another good resource. And I think that there's a resource some schools subscribe to, you know, what can I do with a major in? And that can kind of give you some brainstorming ideas. But frankly, if you don't have access to that, I would say the Occupational Outlook Handbook is a wonderful resource. And everybody has access to that. It's free. And that can give you kind of a snapshot of what different people do, right? So if you're curious about what does it look like to be a high school English teacher, you can look that job up on Occupational Outlook Handbook. OOH or just ONET is another aspect of that. It's run by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which sounds like something out of (laughs) 1984 sci-fi. But the Bureau of Labor Statistics has a vast trove of data. And they have collected so much information about what people do and different career paths. And then there are different tools within that, right? So once you log into the site, you can find out different ways to combine some of your skills and interests into, oh, look at that. There's 10 jobs that match that. So that can be a really helpful starting point. And then exploring it by having interviews, informational interviews. So just to be clear, interviewing, there's job interviews when you're actually applying for a job and selling yourself for a job. And I'm talking about informational interviews where you're playing a journalist and you are asking people, what do they like best? What do they like least? How would you get started? What are some necessary skills? Is there 
required degree, et cetera. No, that's fantastic. And you have just, I think, better explained what the purpose of the Espresso Shots episode is. And for those uh, listeners who want to get a better sense of how to break into the career coaching, career advising field, check out the show notes for this episode to see if Becky's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. Becky, I am curious, how important do you think extracurriculars in college, including things like part-time jobs, internships, and volunteering, are in helping a student when it comes time to land a job after they've graduated? Well, Andrea, they're enormously important. I think sometimes that's the deciding factor, in fact. So let's just pretend you are an anthropology, since I've already mentioned that. you're an anthropology major. And okay. and you're loving, you know, all you've read everything Margaret Mead ever wrote, and you're, you know, immersed in cultural understanding. Great. However, you're not really sure how you're going to earn a living doing that. So now you take a stock of, well, what have I been doing in my spare time when I'm not in class? Well, I've been involved in part-time. Hey, I've been part-time working at the Career Center. What do you know? Or <laughs> I've been part-time working in a museum. Fantastic. If you volunteered, teaching English as a second language, who knows, whatever it's been. There are hundreds of clubs and activities in college to become involved with. And even if you haven't found that perfect thing, some people try lots of different things and never find the one single thing that they're passionate about. I don't think you need to have a single thing you're passionate about, but I do think you need to try different things. For myself, I mean, I remember working at the radio station, the college had a radio station. That's wonderful. I obviously did not pursue that for a career path, but it was really fun. <laughs> and I think gave me a little sneak peek, right, at what that life might look like and what people that I listen to on the radio all the time on NPR, et cetera, <laughs> what they do, right? That was helpful. Also, clubs and activities and extracurriculars can help you try out leadership skills. So if you want to take an active role in leading that particular organization or club, that's a wonderful way to try out things that you'll be doing in a professional setting later. That can be helpful. And it can help you realize if you want to be the director or leader role of something, or if you prefer to be a supporter. And not everybody wants to be, nor can everyone in an organization be the director. So I think it's important to know where you fit best. So I think to your question of how important is it, it can round out all of the academic focus into a practical, grounded, let's try this out. How did I feel about that? Working with people. I think that's also really important. So increasingly, classes may ask you to do team projects so that you're learning how to collaborate, but not always, right? In academics, you don't always get that. In your extracurriculars, on the other hand, you can develop that sharing teamwork collaborative skill, which is very important. Yeah, great. Thank you for that, Becky. I want to pick up on something that you just mentioned. You use the word passionate. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what you think of this whole, it's almost like a cult of passion that mm -hmm. young people need to be able to tell their future employer that they are passionate about marketing mm -hmm. or sales or journalism or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. What is your feeling about 
the need for passion. Mm -hmm. I think for you to feel satisfied in what you're doing, you want to be engaged in it. <laughs> you want to be enjoying it. It's good if you feel passionate about it. Is it a requirement? No. To your point, it can be, I think we have too much focus on it maybe nowadays. I work with a lot of people who sometimes feel that what's missing, I don't feel passionate about this, right? And so then there can be this worry of, I haven't found it yet. And there's been a lot written recently about how destructive it can be to say, oh, go find your passion. Because it indicates that it's sort of a passive thing. Finding your passion, just uncover it under that next rock, there's your passion. And that's not necessarily helpful because it doesn't always just become clear, like a vision, you know, that you wake up and know, this is what I meant to be, right? I mean, it just certainly for me, that was the case. It was not clear. You know, I had many interests. Okay, just so I'm clear. I had many interests. I did not find or feel I had a passion. Then I just felt like, oh, everybody else has it figured out except for me. Of course, that was the case, but that was my perception. It's more important to develop your passion. I think I want to make that a point today. Develop that means some work, okay? If we just tell people, oh, just find it, it's easy, just go find it, and they don't find it, they'll just give up and say, oh, well, I guess I'm just not meant to like what I do, or I guess I'm just not one of those lucky people who's going to find my passion. You can develop these things by saying, well, I think I like this, but I'm not particularly sure I'm good at it yet. So what do I need to get better at it, right? And that's part of that whole growth mindset of learning something and getting better at it and not necessarily hitting the ground running, being 100% great at it, but learning it along the way and being, as I say earlier, engaged with that particular topic or job or profession or skill set and growing with that anyway. That's my point on that. <laughs> I'll Wonderful. get up my <laughs> Wonderful, Becky. Thank you. That was really, really helpful. So for you, since you found your passion and it took you a bit, we'll get into that in a few minutes, but what is it for our young listeners? What should they be considering in terms of whether a career or at least starting their career in coaching and career coaching might be for them? How might they begin to explore this as a career path? Yeah, here's a natural transition. If you're involved in athletics and you find that you love encouraging your teammates and that aspect, that's one form of coaching. But if you enjoy that and find that rewarding, you may find a larger advising and empowering others. That might be a clue for career coaching. Another way you can test it out is if you like listening to people, if you have friends who come to you, you're sort of the go-to person. I think back through my life was sort of the go-to, oh, Becky, I've got this problem, you know, let me tell you about it. If you find that is you and you enjoy doing that, then that is another clue that you might enjoy career advising, career coaching, career counseling, <laughs> all of these same thing. You know, I think there are many ways to help people. But if you think what people do interests you and the variety of options of what people can do interests you, then that's a clue as well. Then in terms of the concrete steps, Andrea, that people can take, getting involved at an early age, you know, even as a teenager in mentoring younger kids. For example, if you play a sport and you want to help out younger kids with that sport, you can do that. If you want to tutor people because you happen to be particularly gifted in 
math or languages and you can tutor younger people. So sort of a teaching aspect. There is a great deal of education at the base of being a career advisor. So I think those are all ways to sort of test it out or get started. Terrific. I know one of the activities that you're very involved in that is, honestly, I think it's critical in a job search is building and then tapping into your network. How can students who are currently undergrads or maybe even in grad school build their networks while they're on campus? Mm, It's a good question. And I, I think for a lot of people, the word networking has a negative connotation. I know when I was the age of most of your listeners, I didn't like that word. I didn't like it when my parents said, you should talk to people, network, build a network. What is that? It did not resonate for me. What you can do, though, is think about it this way. If it's not a word you tend to like, networking, think about it this way. Building connections, finding people who share your interests. If you reframe it that way, it may seem more evident or more accessible in terms of what you can do or who you're looking for. You would be looking for fellow travelers, basically. People who are either in the academic institution where you're studying, faculty, staff, fellow students, recent grads, all of these are potential people to be a part of your network of sharing your interests. At the basis, they all share respect for the college or university where you are, right? So that's a starting point. If you are a recent grad listening to this, what can you do? You can reconnect with people at your college. Most colleges have some sort of an alumni network, you know, directory available. If not, you can certainly use a tool like LinkedIn and connect with people that way. But I think it's equally valuable just when you are, I don't know, a bus trip or a flight or you're traveling to meet new people and find out, you know, like, oh, so what do you do? Most oft asked question. Well, here's what I do and here's how I got started. Really? Well, what do you like best about that? And just to get started with that type of question. And if you were me, what do you advise me to do? Those are sort of the golden questions of informational interviewing that can start with the whole networking idea. Oh, I love that. I love that recommendation. And frankly, even now in what I'm doing, I'm finding, yes, of course, I'm tapping into my existing network. I'm using LinkedIn to find interesting professionals. But not long ago, over the summer, I was at the farmer's market in my community I think I was looking at peaches or something. And then (laughs) this older gentleman came up and he and I were looking at the same peaches. And I looked over and I saw he was wearing a name tag. And I said, Mm. oh, do you work here? And he said, actually, I founded this farmer's market. And I said, you're kidding me. (laughs) I ended up having a 30-minute conversation with him and I'm interviewing him next week because he has had such an incredible career path that brought him to the point where he's running the farmer's market in my community along with a butcher shop. So I couldn't agree with you more. There are a million opportunities during the week to have conversations with people in different settings, and you never know where it'll lead you. No, but you have to be open to it. I think that's the key because you and I have shared that we have teenagers. I sometimes want to shake my sons because sometimes 
they aren't open to asking those questions. They don't want to look uncool, so they don't ask. The fact that you said, oh, I noticed you were wearing a name tag. Are you part of this organization? Versus not asking, right? Versus just staring at the peaches and moving on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's so important to realize that people like to talk about who they are and what matters to them and how they started that farmer's market or how they got started in what they're doing now or what they've enjoyed most this month or whatever. In sitting next to someone new, turn and ask them these questions. You'll never know because that's an opportunity missed. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to flashback, Becky, to when you were an undergrad at Pomona College in California. You designed your own interdisciplinary major as a European studies major, and that was because you wanted to combine your interests in romance languages, in history, and culture, and theater. And honestly, it sounds wonderful. I wish I designed my own major. I was poli-sci, and yeah, I really wish I had done what you did. But, but did you know, Becky, what you were going to do with that incredible degree when you graduated? Absolutely not. <laughs> and I should add, I was getting letters from the dean's office fall of junior year because I had postponed so long declaring a major because I had this huge existential crisis about selecting a major. I went through the entire school handbook front to back, looked at all the different departments, highlighted all the courses that interested me, and I really wrestled with what did I want to do. And poli-sci was certainly on <laughs> the list, and so were a number of other possible majors. I felt like they were just going to limit me. I felt like they were going to be pigeonholing or just restricting. So instead, I designed my own major and said, well, these are all the things I like. So at least I could put that down and take care of the major. But what am I going to do with that major? It was not clear to me at all. I was waiting tables to help out with my parents with tuition. And I'd been doing that for four years. Lo and behold, when I graduated, guess what I did? I waited tables. <laughs> my parents were so thrilled. I definitely struggled. And I want to be transparent with your listeners that it was not at all clear or easy for me to figure out what I was going to do next. And it took me a cross-country move. It took me trying different temp jobs. It took me trying several different jobs for a while before I finally figured out that full circle, my parents were both educators, had both been teachers, and I thought I would try something different. They even encouraged me to, oh, do something different. My mother in particular, well, women can do anything now. You don't have to be a teacher. But to realize that in my heart, that's who I am is a teacher, is an educator. So it really took me a while, though, to figure that out. I just think it's important to share that. There's a perception among young people that it's supposed to be clear. It's not always clear at all. Thank you for sharing that, Becky. And I'm actually curious, do you think there is such a thing as making mistakes in taking one job over another, one path over another, especially if someone ends up hating the job that they took? Mm -hmm. No, I do not think there is such a thing as a mistake. I think we beat ourselves up a lot about, oh, that was a misstep, or oh, I wasted five years in this before I realized I didn't want to do this anymore, or oh, I wish I'd figured this out sooner. 
And it's natural to feel that sort of, oh, you know, I wish I. But I believe very strongly that we are sort of a collage of everything that has happened in our life, the people we have met, the people who have been a part of our lives, the things we've done. It's all part of who we become. And who I am wouldn't be the same if I hadn't tried all of the different things and met all the different people and lived in all the different places where I've been. I don't think it's productive to dwell on, well, I wish I'd figured it out sooner. Sure. Do I wish it had been a little bit easier or less of a struggle for me to figure out what I wanted to do? Perhaps. But I find for me, the journey is always more important than the destination. <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. Well, you and me both, and amen to everything that you just said. And in fact, I would encourage our young listeners, if they haven't listened to T4C episode 270 with Dove Barron, that they give themselves this gift and listen to the wisdom that he has to share, which in a nutshell is that Going through painful experiences, whether it's a job you hate or just the process of finding something you love, or if it's emotional pain or psychological, whatever the case is, is necessary in order for you to evolve. So to Becky's point, the fact that you may be in absolute misery right now because you don't like where you are and what you're doing. That is going to help you. It is a important process for you to go through to find where you will be happy. So on that note, Becky, I have two final <laughs> deeper C questions for you. Can you share a time in your professional life when you really struggled? Mm -hmm. And most importantly, how you persevered? and maybe a lesson that you learned in the process. Sure. I definitely had a low moment. I had moved to DC based on the fact that my brother and a good friend were living there. And I had gone there on a scouting mission and found the perfect job. I thought, I said, oh, I can use my Italian skills and my, I uh, mentioned earlier, radio media skills at this place that's no longer in existence. So I can say it was called Antenna Italia at the time. And I should have known it was in the Watergate building. <laughs> but I had met with the two brothers that were running it. And I agreed with them over a cup of espresso that I would start on June, whatever it was. I went home to California, packed up, and I moved out to DC. And I showed up at Antenna Italia. And they both said, oh, you're here. And my heart sank because I thought, uh oh, what did I do wrong here. I thought we'd agreed on, oh, yes, yes, we agreed, but we're not sure we're going to have the budget to pay you. The plans we have aren't really materializing, yada, yada, yada. Within a week, they said, really, we have nothing for you to do. We can't pay you, you know, <laughs> so bye-bye. And here I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, I've moved across the country was my oh, hmm moment. <laughs> and I moved across the country and I'm here and I thought I'd worked it all out and I was so naive, right? And so I just felt like, how could I have been so naive and gullible. I felt so low and so upset about it. Your point about what do you do? Well, I'm here, so I better make the best of it. I'm in DC. Surely I can find something else. And my brother and his friends were all encouraging me to, well, just 
do something with, you know, one of the many foundations or nonprofits here, or, you know, you're interested in environmental things. Sure, maybe you could do that. Or maybe you could use your international background or whatever, right? All kinds of advice and ideas. Long story short, because it is a long story and we don't have time for it, but I really struggled and I ended up temping. And then the temp company said, hey, you're pretty sharp. We'll hire you. But it was for an accounts receivable job. And I wasn't very happy in that. And really, for about five months, pretty miserable. And finally, as I'm sobbing over coffee, my brother said, look, I can't stand to watch you this way. So my roommate's sister is pretty happy. And she's working at this nonprofit that does cultural exchange up in Cambridge. So that's kind of what launched me to interview up there and get a job in Cambridge and sort of at least get back in touch with education, international, the arena, the things that interested me and kind of get myself back on track. But it was really a low point in terms of how could I have done that. And you have to realize that there was no internet. I was literally using the phone book to find, <laughs> to find possible employers. It was definitely a different era, but I did struggle and I finally found some footing. But I think it was through people I trusted, I turned to for advice and some help and guidance. If I had not done that, I would have just been spinning my wheels. So, Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And secondly, yeah, I remember those days. Of course, I remember those days. <laughs> it was not until the 90s that yeah. we got the World Wide <laughs> Web. And both you and I were out there already uh. building our careers and I loved how you mentioned the fact that your brother's friend's girlfriend mm -hmm. was working at that company. Yet again, an example of the network. Network. Yep. Yeah. And so often, this is what our young listeners are going to find, that the people that they know either directly or four steps removed are going to help them learn about potential jobs or great companies. And that's going to be kind of a, a golden key that will unlock many doors. And I think if you feel icky about that, you feel like I'm using someone, don't feel that way. It's a pay it forward kind of a scenario where you can help other people now. And when you need help, they want to help you. It's kind of a cyclical, circular thing. It doesn't need to be that using feeling. So not a yeah. quid pro quo. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so final T for C question. If you could go back to Pomona College and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, Becky, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I wrestle with this question because, of course, in many respects, I'd probably do the same darn thing all over again. But if I really came at it today with who I am today, I just feel like I'm in such a different place and a different person with different confidence than I had at the time. So I guess what I would wish for myself doing it over is to believe in myself more than I did at the time and to realize that not everybody else has it all figured out because I think that I spend and still struggle sometimes with that feeling of, oh, everybody else, <laughs> everybody else has it together. Everybody else knows what they're doing. I think it's only now in middle age that I've realized, no, most people really don't have it figured out. Some people are good at hiding it, but we don't. You know, we're all just struggling and finding our way, you know, trying to keep ourselves in some sort of equilibrium. And I think that's what the life journey really is, is a search for balance and a series of failures. 
I think learning to embrace failure instead of it being a bad word and something to be avoided. If you're not failing, you're not trying new things, you know, you're not testing yourself. So, oh my goodness, Becky, virtual double high five over the Skype audio airwaves here. (laughs) What a perfect way to end. I want to thank you so much, not only for your empathy, your honesty, and your very evident passion for what you do, but also for making the time to have coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. Wellesley College is so fortunate to have an educator like you on staff, and I just want to wish you continued success in your journey. Well, thank you, Andrea. And I'm grateful for you and T4C. And I think it's a wonderful endeavor that you have launched. And thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.